Well, if you're a regular listener to Raw and Normal Adventure Rider Radio, you probably know that we're powered by listener support as well as some advertising. In the case of Raw, it's it's totally listener support. It's um, people like yourself who drop by our website and click on the support button. So what we do is we have one special. We, we've got a bunch of different things actually. If you give ten dollars or more, we get uh, we send a sticker back to you. Um, and there's different sort of rewards as you go up. But we have one if you if you give fifty dollars support or more, then we read your name here on the start of ARR Raw, which is once a month. And that's what I'm about to do now. So I'm going to, I'm going to read a list of people. And, and by the way, if you've given any amount of support for the show, we appreciate it. I mean, it makes a huge difference and every little bit counts. So, you know, don't feel that you, you have to give a larger amount. Um, any bit you can give helps. We've also signed up for Patreon, which is monthly donations. And that's really the one that I would love to see get way up there because the more support we get through Patreon, which is a monthly support, you just sign up for it and you can give any amount um, per month, $5, $10, $25, $50, whatever you want to give per month to support the show and that sort of frees us up to worry more about contents just just totally focus on content and less on trying to find an advertiser when a slot is open for advertising um so anyway let me go through the list for this month i'm very impressed one we we missed uh on the last one was john claire um john this is a happy birthday message from your son so john claire thank you very much through your son, and I'm going to go through the list here. Stephen Otera, Craig Grimson, Michael Goodwin, Ronald Gregory, John Jones, Cliff Kafka, Louis Godinez, John Edwards, Mark Strand, Marco Baricelli, and Kalen Richardson. Thank you all so much for that very generous support for this month. It makes a huge difference to us. We do have a lot of bills to pay for this, so this stuff is is very important to us. If you haven't already, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com forward slash support, or just go to any page and click on the support button. Now we're going to get into ARR Raw for the month of August. Okay, ready to go? I, I was, I was, yeah, 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 I was yeah. thinking maybe we might get Graham in here. He might come in the last minute, but it doesn't look like it. We can always pop in as we go. But if we're ready to go, yeah, we're good.
From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Mississauga Lake, Ontario, Canada, it is August 2017, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I have our regular, almost all of our regular co-hosts here, except for one. I'm going to start with Shirley Hardy-Ricks. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Jim. And how was Australia looking this wintry morning? Well, it's a bit hard to tell because it's still pitch black outside. Ah, so but as the as the as the show goes on, I'll tell you what it looks like <laughs> as the oh. light comes in. <laughs> and of course, Brian, you are there as well. Uh, top of the morning to you, Jim and Grant uh, and Sam. Um, hey. We had the lunar eclipse last night at four twenty a.m which was, mm. I didn't get up to see it, but uh, I just saw the tail end of it as I had to um, get out of bed for personal reasons, and uh, it was quite beautiful. Mm. Very nice. Well, I think we're only one day off of a full moon here, but that's the excitement that we've got here, and I'm, I'm still, as I said at the start there, in Ontario, uh, Canada. And Brian, I'm just curious, what are you wearing right now? <laughs> I've um, I've got my bike uh, gear on, ready to go. And so as soon as we finish this little chat, uh, it's just gone six o'clock in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning. Six. You're suited up in leathers. Yep. You've yep. already wolfed yep. your breakfast down, and you yep. are ready to hit the road. I'm ready to roll. And that's a true. Bike. I need a ride. Do you want to know what I'm wearing, Jim? Nope, that's okay. <laughs> oh, go on, Shirley. I've got my jammies with my little bunny rabbits all over them, oh. my dressing gown and my slippers because I am not ready to go and I am not going on the bike as soon as this is finished. So oh, there I you have go. to say that's surprising. I didn't you guys wear matching outfits to bed? Brian <laughs> <laughs> uh, looks really cute in his jammies with the uh Bunny rabbits all over them. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see the photo. Please don't post that. <laughs> no, the idea of Brian wearing pink pajamas with bunny rabbits on now, that just doesn't work. Next time we're camping next to each other, Sam, you'll see them, okay? All right, you're right. Um, and we I might be wearing sunglasses at night. We also have Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Grant, good afternoon, I believe it is for you. It, it is good afternoon. Hello to everybody, too. What are you, um, what are you looking at good for? Here? Sorry, I was going to say, what are you looking at for weather there? The weather here is actually really nice. It's been stinking hot, and it's supposed to get to 32, but it's only about 28 now, and it's staying not too bad. We just got back from from Hamanashis, which was really hot but really good, and we're packing and leaving tomorrow morning at 3 a.m. to drive to the airport to go to the Hum Appalachians in Maryland. Oh, very nice. Wow. Right close together. I, I didn't really put that together in my head. Um, so the, the Monashies, that was an amazing trip? Yeah, that worked out really well. We had uh, uh, plenty of riders. We had great weather. It was beautiful. It was hot. And it worked out really well. Everybody had a good time. I was wondering about the, the smoke and the fire. And now they've got a, a fire ban on a lot of the back, or not a fire ban, a uh, off-road vehicle ban on a lot of British Columbia. And obviously that yes. was just after the event. Yep, just the following weekend. It's happened on Friday after the event. We were very lucky that we got in in good time. Uh, the weather in the area isn't really bad. It's hot, but it's not bad. And the area doesn't have much in the way of fires. It's farther. The big fire area is a couple of hundred miles away. But we were getting a bit of smoke from a big fire in Washington in the USA. It's coming up. So, so, sorry to interrupt you guys, but uh, we've just seen a heap of our 
um, volunteer firefighters from Australia over to Canada to help yep. out with the wildfires over there. And uh, we have this great arrangement between Canada and the US and, and, um, and Australia where um, in our fire season, uh, they come over here and help us. So um, good luck to them all. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good deal that, that works both ways. It's, that works out very well for everybody. Yeah. It's a good deal. We certainly needed them this summer. Oh, sorts have got to be with everybody that's been involved with that, haven't they? Um, it's yeah. just been awful, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot it's of people have turned out of their house and the smoke has been horrendous in some areas. There's some areas where the sun was just a dim red ball at, at noon. You know, it's, the smoke's been amazing in some places. Do you know, I haven't heard very much out of ca um, California this year because they've just had horrendous fires for the previous years, but I haven't heard anything at all this year. Maybe I've just been out of touch on that. No, they've had fires for sure. It's not right. to say. I think BC is overriding everybody in the news because ours have been so bad this year. Right. Yeah. And of, of course, that's Sam Manicom in the background slightly. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> is, is it evening for you? It's evening, isn't it? It is. It's um, quarter past nine. Um, just rolling into quarter past nine as we speak. And um, hey, it's dark out there, but it's a really nice temperature. We've got about 15 degrees um, Celsius at the moment. So that's quite nice. So the only one we're missing today is Graham Field, who is hunkered down in a small, poor quality tent um, somewhere in the hills of Bulgaria, suffering through a, an incredible electrical and, and some sort of storm or multiple storms that are going through. I didn't realize he was in a tent. I thought he was at home. Yeah, I threw that in just for a dramatic effect. Because oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't oh, much more impressive. after that. Oh, Especially absolutely. after last week and he was talking about this high quality new tent of his. <laughs> he's he's going to cringe when he hears that, Jim. He'll be in trouble. <laughs> well, I just had to throw some drama into it, you know. It painted a different picture him huddled down, the wind smacking the tent around and dripping through on him. <laughs> I, Jim, I, I just have this image of him sitting um, behind big glass windows watching huge flashes of lightning zoom across the sky. And Shirley's absolutely right, with a whiskey in one hand and a bottle in the other. <laughs> yep, that's what I envisage. I don't like the image of the tent at all. That doesn't sound very pleasant. Because if you were in the tent, you might have a problem, and that would bring us into our first topic, which is emergency preparedness. And um, this, is, this is an interesting one, emergency preparedness plan, because, uh, you know, coming from uh, a tourism background with um, wilderness adventure trips, we had to have these things in place and you had to figure out all your logistics ahead of time. Any, anytime anybody's running an event, really, when you're, especially when you're off the beaten path, you have to run through this thing. You have to figure out, you know, where your hospitals are and go through all your scenarios of what happens if something goes wrong, how do we get help, how do they get word out, et cetera, et cetera. So... When you're planning a long-distance trip, the, the question is, you know, what sort of emergency preparedness plan do you guys do? And and then maybe we can give some tips as well as, as what should be done out there. I mean, I'll give you an example, too. When uh, I was out riding with my friend and he broke his leg, he, he wiped out with his bike and broke his leg, we were close to home. So really, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about an emergency preparedness plan. But there were some things that happened in that rescue in getting him out of where we were because we were off the beaten path that could have went smoother if if uh, if it had a plan in place. And, of course, we wouldn't because it was so close to home. But when you, especially when you're dealing with going to another country, um, 
you know, you, the, the thought of having to deal with an emergency, I mean, you can, I guess you could do one of two schools. You could either just pretend, uh, you know, pretend it isn't going to happen to you and ignore it. Um, or you could come up with some sort of plan. And, and when I say plan, I'm talking about plan for yourself. How will you get the word out that you need help? How will you get that help? And how will whoever's helping you, especially if it's someone at home, figure out what they're going to do with you? Does anyone, does anyone actually put a lot into this before you guys go on a trip? Um, we, we had a, um, what you call it, Brian, a spot tracker last, on our last trip. And that sent messages home every night to say that we'd finished writing for the day and everything was hunky dory. And it had a, um, an emergency button on it that would activate the nearest, um, emergency service to wherever we sent the beacon out from, but we never had to use it. And certainly I think it would be impossible to plan the sort of trips that we've done and know where hospitals are and things like that. If you know, I guess it's potluck where you're going to have your accident. Well, go back a bit. Um, when you think of uh, when Ted Simon went around the world and uh, other people that went around the world, and you know, he just jumped on your bike and disappeared into the sunset. And that's a great um, uh, romantic um, feeling, I suppose. And that's fair enough. And I, I like to do that. I like to get lost, but. There has to be a level of planning, I think, nowadays. Uh, and in this day and age of um, uh, immediate communication anywhere in the world almost, um, it's not that difficult. Um, with the spot tracker that we had, um, we had one which um, would send a message to the children and let them know um, where we were, that we were okay. Another uh, message, we pressed another button that said, look, um, we're, we're in a, one spot for a while, things have happened, but we're all right, not to worry. The next one was, we need assistance. And the next one was, send help, basically, um, of, of the four messages. And that was it gave a level of comfort to our loved ones um, about where we were and what we did. Um, but on our first trip, we would just ring in, wouldn't we, Shirley? or email Or email. Uh, then and uh, ring in on special occasions, and that was all exciting. But I, I think nowadays, um, with the way things are, uh, people like to know that you're safe and well. Uh, so I have no problem um, using the follow spot. Um, so, um, Sam, what about you, mate? Well, um, everybody needs a mother like mine. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning? I'm serious. <laughs> My mother has this amazing sixth sense. Um, you know, I, I had that 17 bone fracture accident crossing the desert in Namibia. And when I phoned my mother, she said, yeah, I knew something had happened, but um, I knew you weren't dying, so I didn't worry. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that, that's absolutely classic. But if something has gone wrong and, um, and I am in difficulty, then she does sense it. It's quite bizarre, the sort of connection that there is. Um, of course, I've, I'm really worried about that because a bit like having Big Mother looking over your shoulder all the time. <laughs> big Mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you phoned her up and told her you had these this, this multiple bone fractures, what did she say? Oh, I'm going to get back to you. I've got cookies in the oven, sort of thing. I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, she was just very laissez-faire about it, and um, yeah, knew you weren't dying, so I wasn't worried. How's it going? Where are you? What's your plan? And that was it. Um, is there anything I can do? Um, and basically, no, there wasn't really, because I'd been in touch with my travel insurance company and got that ball rolling and so on. I mean, when I set off on a trip, because um, I've got, you know, the kidney transplant and various other bits and pieces, then I always make sure that um, I travel fairly well documented as to um, 
what my drugs are, uh, when I need to take them. I try and find the generic names for them as well as the names that I get them under in the UK. Um, when I actually need to take them, um, I have on this piece of paper the name of my doctor in the UK, the hospital that I go to, my hospital number, um, and my national health service number. Um, you know, all of those sorts of things, my blood group, um, my travel insurance details, all of these are on a piece of card, which is about the size of a, a four by six postcard, um, one version is, um, and that's laminated. And I have one that's about the size of a business card, which is more difficult to read, but it is re um, legible, and that tucks in my wallet. Um, and well, I mean, you know that I had this accident in June in the United States, and you know, the paramedics are talking away to me, and I'm saying, "Here you go, guys. Here's my card." And they look at me, thinking, "You what?" And then they realise that it's got all of the medical details that they need on that little piece of paper. And they just smiled at me and said, that's terrific. Right, let's get you sorted out. And it was as simple as that. Sam, do you think about wearing a, um, uh, a dog tags or a a, one of those medical bracelets that has I, Because if you, if you part company with your motorcycle in some parts of the world, the first people on the scene may part company with your wallet. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, that's too right. Um, so this, this the one that I'm called, talking about is car carried in my wallet. Um, the postcard size one is carried in with um, documentation in my walkaway bag, and it's always the one um, that sits on top, so in a, in a plastic A4 holder, so it's instantly visible from the outside. I have um, a medical bracelet, which has um, a piece of waterproof paper that you can write on with indelible pen, and you fold this piece of paper inside the bracelet, and so that bracelet is very visibly um, a first aid bracelet. I don't carry um, one around my neck because I've never actually found the one that I like the look of, but that's just pure vanity. Um, <laughs> Fair enough, too. <laughs> I have my crash helmet, um, and that has um, a medical alert sticker on the side of it. So, again, if something um, happens, whoever finds me knows, right, okay, this guy has got details, let's look for them. And it's simple, you know, you're in that situation, it's just job done. There's no fretting or sweating or anything else. And when I got taken to hospital, the doctors there looked at this is this card and thought, right, okay, yeah, this, 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 and this, and this, um, and we were rolling. It was so simple in comparison to being in pain, morphined up, wondering, you know, addle-brained, trying to explain the various things. Don't give me this because I've got a kidney transplant, for example, um, and so on. And yeah, I mean, even for somebody who hasn't got those sorts of issues, it's such a good thing to do because it just makes it easy. You know, the paramedics, for example, if you do are unlucky enough to have an accident, of course, they're going to be worried. Have you got an allergy? Um, are you allergic to morphine, for example? Um, do you get affected by bee stings or whatever else it may be? Have that on this piece of card and then the paramedics, the doctors can instantly see. It's, it's just such a simple thing to do. But of course, always make sure that it's laminated because then it will survive the overlanding world that we, we inhabit. Mm. 
I'm really glad you said about the card because that's what I used to do as well for trips. I uh, being uh, uh, if you're leading a trip, uh, there's always a chance that especially if you're a single leader on a smaller trip, something could happen to you. And that's the one thing that prompted me originally to make a card of my own and put it in with me. I don't, I don't have any allergies, don't have any medical problems, but just to have that clear and in there. So if something goes wrong, something happens to me, and I would tell the people that were out with me that that's where the the information was. Also had a, uh, some instructions for them as well what to do in an emergency. But I was going to mention because Brian, you you mentioned that you know you had the one button on there that you press and, and it's um, if you need assistance. But do your kids have a plan? Do they know what they're going to do as far as trying to figure out? Because that's quite a thing you're putting on them. Well, yeah, well, yes and no. Well, but basically what I said to them was if, if that um, goes off, I'll try and get somewhere where we can make better contact, whether I need parts or whether we need some assistance in some other way. Um, but they would know that we needed some sort of help and they would start looking for us but, if we couldn't yeah. get to them. The emergency button, though, Jim, didn't go to our kids. It went it to, to the nearest, yeah, it goes to a call centre of, of some kind sure. and then it goes to the nearest emergency service. Right. But um, I, I, I surely didn't want to mention this, but on our first trip, I, I'm maybe a little bit more, but um, I didn't want to, if something terrible happened and we both uh, were, you know, passed away on our trip, I didn't want to have leave the kids with uh, the dilemma of what to do with us. So, so I went and saw a, a guy I know who's, uh, who I've done a lot of work with uh, in the past and, and said to him, Jim... We uh, should point a, out this man is a chaplain. He's a chaplain. He's a police chaplain. So he, I don't know what he thought we were there to say, say, um, see, see him about something else. And I said to him, Jim, here's a letter and... Um, this is to tell you what we want done if the uh, you know if we pass away, because I don't want um, to burden the kids with it. And it was just to cremate us and uh, put us in a box and bring us home. That's all it was. Uh, Jim was very disappointed. He actually thought we were coming to renew our marriage vows. So to appease him when we got home, to appease him when we got home from the trip, we did. <laughs> I think I think what you guys did made an awful lot of sense. Um, both things. Um, I think that if you can make it very very clear for the people who leave behind um, your next of kin, um, those sorts of things, what wants to happen in the worst possible situation, you're making life an awful lot easier for them. Um, and why should our overlanding adventures give even more trauma um, to the people who are going to deal with the fact that we've snuffed it in the first place? That's, yeah, that, that was my thoughts exactly too. Yeah, good thinking. Grant, are you using a spot or do you guys take something with you when you're going? We do now. We um, have several spots because we give spots out to all of our riders for the Huns. Uh, and they actually came in very handy in the last one. We had a rider who was riding on the highway on his way to one of the checkoff points in the woods. And the car driver drove right into him from behind. Didn't uh. even slow down. Um like distract completely distracted driver not paying attention at all and hit him hard from behind and he went down and his partner you know did the usual thing check what's going on and first thing he did was hit the sos button on the spot and the we got the spot warning at headquarters like seconds later and within 30 seconds we heard the sirens at the ambulance center nearby they were ah, that's on their way. that's yeah, good. That's that to know that it works like that, that's great, Grant. Because we never, yeah. um, we've never met anyone who's actually pressed the SOS button before. Yeah, well, yeah, well, well this is make... fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Uh, Grant, well, I, I now have a confession to make. I've okay. gone out and purchased another motorcycle. 
uh, which is a trial <laughs> bike. Yes, okay. another one. Doesn't he see this every month? Uh, <laughs> this is really interesting. Surely you have this longest streak of tolerance ever. <laughs> I think she's part of it. She's not an innocent bystander. Day. She's not a victim. She's in on all this. No, well, she's see, a victim. You can always see the morning cheeky grin, can't you? <laughs> uh, this one's a trail bike, and this is to do riding the uh, fire trails out here where there's a lot of gold mines and, and um, things which uh, could cause all sorts of things problems for you and I've got a mate we go riding with and I've decided to um, reactivate my my spot so that when we do go out trail riding we do have some coverage yeah good idea now Susan is adamant that I carry the spot with me when I go trail riding whether I'm with somebody or on my own mm. just makes her feel a lot better she activates the track and she can see where I am yeah it's great yeah. the only frustrating part is every once in a while you're in the woods and it doesn't they can't, they can't get a signal out for an hour, an hour and a half. And then she starts panicking. He's not moving. He's not moving. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, see, now that live track thing, that can be more problems than yeah, it's worth. Um, we yeah. travelled through um, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan with a young um, French-Canadian yeah. fellow. And he had the live spot. And we actually stopped for a couple of days, three days in Bukharo or one of those um, Silk Road towns, and his wife—he couldn't get an email out to his wife to tell him that we decided to stay for three days rather than one or or um, some term. And uh, she saw that the spot had stopped, and she was very concerned. So that that aspect of it can be a bit of a problem. The other thing too is if you come across another accident, uh, you know, where someone else needs help and uh, help, and you press the SOS or nine one one, whatever system you're using your uh, family or friends or whoever you've got on your list that's going to be notified, they're going to be notified that your button has been pressed. They'll have no that's idea. That's very true. And, and they'll have no yeah. idea that it's you, or that it's not you, rather. And one suggestion that a friend of mine had, matter of fact, the guy who broke his leg, he set up the one button so that it sent out a message saying, if you're getting this message, it's just to let you know that that SOS emergency is for someone I've come, I'm helping, not for me. And I thought that was a good that's way. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good approach, yeah, right? That's a really good idea. Rather yep. than sending panic. But but this is all in, in the 911 talk. In other words, like that emergency. So what we're talking about here is is discussing a full emergency. But back to what, what when Brian was saying about the need assistance button, that's, I think, the one that really creates problems for us if you don't have a plan at home. In other words, like with, with our emergency there, my friend broke his leg, a part of it was even how to tell Elizabeth, who was coming up with the, the Jeep to get him to take him to the hospital um, because he wasn't dying right there, part of it was finding the way in because she doesn't know where we are and she's not really sure and there's, the map doesn't show roads in. So that sort of thing is something that you'd want to think about, especially, I think, if you're somewhere where your loved ones or your friends are actually going to, to um, do the search themselves, do the help themselves, not if you're in another country so much. I think you need to make sure that they have a decent map, too, and an idea of where it is you're going. These days, a lot of people plan their trips out on a GPS in advance or on Google Earth or something, and you could easily leave that GPX track behind with somebody at home. But you need to make sure that that person understands what it is they're doing with it and how to use it, too. Yeah, exactly. 
and and, and that sometimes can you know turns out a little bit different than you think. You think it's pretty straightforward, but especially in an emergency when people are feeling stressed. And then to bring up this thing, one of the other things we ran into was that a lot of that is online. So if you're if you're looking at a spot track, if you don't have internet access when you're going to try and find them, you've you've lost your information that you had online there. So it's something else to to mm-hmm. keep in mind. But I was going to say an interesting thing with Spot is they now have a, a setting on there that you can turn on that that sends out an alert if it uh, if the spot has sat for an hour or more, and that might be adjustable. It'll send out an alert when it starts to move again, which is which is quite a handy thing. So if somebody's worried about because you've stopped at a spot, maybe having lunch, doing a repair or whatever, and then as soon as you get going again, it sends out a movement alert and tells the people you're you're going again. Now, personally, I wouldn't have any anybody panic until I haven't moved in the middle of the day for at least three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, you stop for lunch, you take a break, maybe you got a minor mechanical, you want to fix it. You don't want people panicking because you're... Yeah, or you're somewhere your really lovely and you want to go for a walk off the bike. Well, and that's, basically, yeah. that's basically what I said to the kids. Uh, I will press this button every night to let you know that we're okay. Yeah, we didn't have they, so, we didn't have the follow set up that they could see where we were right. at any time of the night or day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad I'm, idea. I'm thinking about what Brian was saying at the beginning. You know, about when we all started travelling, there wasn't any of this stuff, and you used to just go. Um, and I mean, yeah. my family would get concerned if they hadn't heard anything from me for a couple of months, and it feels really strange still. Um, to be thinking, well, you know, if people haven't heard from me for a few hours, um, then they're going to get worried. It was um, extremely weird. Uh, when we left, Susan's mother said to her, I don't care where you are, call me collect once a month at least. Yeah, yeah. Once a month. Imagine someone saying that to you now. I'm going to post on no, Facebook well, yeah. once a month, no matter what, whether yeah. I need to or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had an incident a while ago where somebody, um, a wife was looking for her husband uh, he was in South America, and she said, I haven't heard from him for three days. I'm, I'm really, really worried. Uh, you know, so we started sending out the word description of the guy and where he was and where he was going. And a couple of people reported back, yeah, I saw him. Um, but nobody had seen him in the last day or so. And then he popped up a couple of days later and says, yeah, I went to the beach. No yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a beautiful day. It was a lovely beach. I decided to take a rest. I needed a break. So he was off on the beach for five days. Yeah. I, no, absolutely. People, this too and much if, connection and expect being expected to be in communication all the time, I think, is a real problem. It can take away some of the serendipity. I, I want to do this. I want to go there. Uh, absolutely. The spontaneity can, can go because yeah. you're too worried that somebody at home is going to be thinking, oh, well, I haven't heard from them. Um, I mean, I had an incident when I was in Thailand and I went to one of the islands um, way offshore. Um, they, unbeknown to me, their mailbag didn't get sent to the mainland until it was full. <laughs> so that was me sticking in postcards at the ripe sort of six-week period that I would normally write home thinking. And, of course, by that time, um, my family were beginning to get a little bit worried because nobody had heard anything from me. So it wasn't a case of just one postcard or letter going missing. Nobody had heard anything. And later on, I found out, yeah, you know, this mail sack was probably still sitting on the island for another couple of months. Hmm. Well, Um, I think it's about balance, don't you, Sam? You know, mm -hmm. you get the balance between, uh, you know, we're going to go and we're going to get lost and explore, and but, you know, we'll be in touch, that sort of thing. It's about how you get that balance with your loved ones. Yes. And I think these sorts of conversations beforehand are so important. So people's expectations on both sides and understanding are really comfortable with each other. 
And that is the problem with Facebook and Instagram and all those other um, social media. People expect you to post every day. They expect there to be photos put up every day. And, uh, you know, if you don't, then they do worry. Whereas in the good old days, if they hadn't heard from you for a month, then they might start to think, oh, I wonder what's happened to them. I have a friend that's um, actually, he's, he's 70. I, th- I think he's just about to turn 70. And he goes off and does all kinds of bushwhacking adventures, all close to home, all day trips. But it's all bushwhacking stuff where there's no road, no trail. He he likes to check out things where there was old trails or maybe find a mine or maybe a, some sort of geological formation that he's interested in. He collects a lot of uh, native artifacts and things like that. But in any case, I, I've been trying to, you know, get him to take a spot because I'm saying if something goes wrong, you know, you'd be able to fire off this spot, at least, you know, get help. And otherwise you can say, hey, I'm okay. And he said, that's what worries me. This is why he won't carry one. He refuses to carry one because he doesn't want to have his daughter in particular expecting to get that check-in. He doesn't want to have that expected, mm-hmm. you know, and he's worried that that, like even what you're saying, Brian, like check in every night. What happens if you don't? Your battery's dead. You lost the unit. Whatever happens, do we create a problem by doing that? Mm. Yeah, that's true, Jim. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I just think that uh, you know you, you you plan accordingly and uh, you let your family know what you're going to do, and that's the best that you can do. Mm-hmm. And um, just go for it because there is a. a, a a fair love in uh, just wandering off and exploring the world. People, you know, we're going to do another trip and we said, oh, we're going to go here, there, we're going to go into Eastern Europe, we're going to do this and that. Oh, uh, which towns are you going to stay in? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> I'll work yeah, it yeah. out when I get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think people at home need to be trained, even if you're going to be sending them a, a daily message, I'm okay. If you haven't heard from them for a week, then maybe start to worry because things go wrong. You, know, you could, could be, be in, a, your... in a valley in a mountain somewhere in Switzerland where there is no access to satellites because the mountains are near vertical on both sides of you. Who knows? Grant, Grant, that could be another thing you could put on HU, training the family. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that, that's not something I thought of as part of making a plan up, but that's very true, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> I, I know we've done it before. We, we've left somewhere that we'd like early because we're worried that our kids are going to worry if we don't get out and send a message to them. And it's sort of yep. like Sam said. It's restricting. It's restricting and it takes away from a huge part of the adventure, the spontaneity, um, the opportunity to be curious, the opportunity to dig beneath the surface of different places because you've got this self-made pressure that you've got to be touching base. Um, but when you don't have that self-made pressure, then yeah, damn it, this beach is absolutely drop dead gorgeous. When am I ever going to be on a beach like this again. I have to stay for another couple of days because I may never get the opportunity. And how dumb would I be to leave it now? Um, And that's part of the beauty of overland travel. It's being able to be spontaneous and take advantage of opportunities, not have to ride on past. Yep, agree. Exactly. Absolutely. So before we go then, so like like obviously I think the card is is a must. Does everybody agree with that? Does anyone think that 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 isn't something you should do? Yep. Yep. I think right. everyone should have that, even if it's to say, I have no allergies. Or mm-hmm. your blood group or anything, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And your contact Jim, there were a couple of other things I always put on my card and I forgot to say, and that is um, have the travel insurance details on there. Mm, Who's yeah. the travel insurance company and the contact yeah. telephone mm. number? Because there are many hospitals and ambulances and things like that that just won't take you places in in the developed world unless they know that you've either got the cash to pay for it, a credit card, which 
hey, when you're unconscious or semi-conscious, do you really want to hang it, hand it over? But um, if you've got your travel um, insurance details there, then that can work very nicely. And also um, your next of kin's contact details, mm. all on that yeah. card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not necessarily your next of kin either, but um, oh, well, an emergency know, contact person, whoever yes. it is that you've designated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. someone who can handle yeah. it, basically. Yeah. yeah, and preferably two of them, because what if that person can't be reached? What if they're yes. off on holidays themselves? Yeah, that is a good point, Grant. I don't do that. I should. Yeah, I think you need to have a, a backup person. Um, I know we have two people in a row that we, we cascade through, actually three that we cascade through if necessary. And they all have complete access to everything. They know where everything is and who everybody is. And I think that's where you can go wrong, too, because you may find that you're, you don't want to have your family as your first contact because they may freak out, whereas a friend is going to be a little less upset and can deal with it a little better. But they need to know who the family is and how to contact them and be comfortable doing that as well. Yeah, so, so again, that arranging that all in advance. Yeah, yeah we haven't have ever done that. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I think it's something to think about. Um, and that person needs to have your full medical history, all that stuff you've got in your card, and maybe more stuff needs to be yep. all on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, there's something else yeah. that we add into that pack and, uh, of information, and that is um, the list of, well, in our case, British and German um, embassies in the different countries mm-hmm. that we're going to, consulates, their contact details, all of that sort of stuff, which cities they're in. Because if you do go missing somewhere along the line and your, um, your, your steady, um, reliable person at home um, has got a rough idea of where you're going to be, then they may well want to get in touch with the embassy and just say, hey, look, um, XYZ is missing on your territory or likely to be missing on your territory. Um, because embassy, embassies do hunt, um, yeah. but also they can pass the word out. Um, keep your eye open for this because, you know, expats are all over the place, um, NGOs are all over the place, and word does get spread. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, the when car- you said that, I thought you wanted that in, on the emergency card, and I thought we're now starting to be carrying around a tome. <laughs> to, leave the, <laughs> yeah. to leave the embassy but, uh, details at home is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. leave them at home. Well, we, we tend to carry um, a sheet with those embassy contact details on as well because, hey, you're not, not necessarily somewhere where you've got internet access. Um, and you may have got yourself into trouble somewhere where you definitely haven't, and you just need to be able to refer to it. Um, but that a copy of that exact same sheet gets left at home with the responsible person. So you, you do that for every country? Can always steal your phone too. Yeah, every country. Hmm. Why not? No, yeah, no, I think yeah. it's good. Yeah. No. But you're going to, yes. I was just going to say that having all that contact information both in your phone, on the internet, in your, your email account, if you need access to it, um, if you get your wallet stolen, you get your passport stolen, whatever, if you've got all that stuff available somewhere where you have access to it, that can save you an enormous amount of aggravation trying to get all that paperwork back as well. It's mm-hmm. all part of the same. If you have an emergency, what kind of an emergency is? You, you could be in the hospital. You could also just have been robbed of everything and you're standing there in your underwear. Okay, You can walk into an internet cafe or get to the embassy or something and go onto your mail account and there's all your uh, passport details, your passport number, your medical insurance, all that kind of stuff can all be stored in your email account in a note file. 
it's so easy to trash image of, I've got this terrible image of you wandering into an internet cafe in your underwear, Greg. That was, <laughs> that was my only <laughs> question, that too. Terrible image. I was hoping that you terrible. wouldn't have that in, image. <laughs> 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 uh, Especially in say, my travel underwear. Your only hassle <laughs> may be actually getting into the internet cafe in your underwear to get all your information, <laughs> but I get the point. <laughs> you can just imagine the security guard at the embassy um, we have a man in his underwear here claiming to be a Canadian subject. I, I think we should just call the local police and have him taken away. Well, you know, there's, there's something else that you can leave on your list for, with your responsible person just for this scenario. Grant, have you got any distinguishing body marks? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have, and I'm not telling. <laughs> Can I just say, at this point of time, I really miss Graham. Because <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine what he would be saying about this conversation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have actually seen his internet connection flash up once or twice, but then it's, it's just been gone within seconds. Uh, well, oh, he hasn't come up with us. Let's hope he's, uh, he's making it. But okay, so the the card, like fantastic idea. And that's good for anybody even staying at home, you know, whether you're going on short rides. I, I think that's sure. uh, that's something you should have in your jacket with you uh, all the time. Uh, by the way, where do you keep that, Sam? Uh, you, you mentioned, is it in your pocket or in your wallet? I actually keep a copy in multiple places because um, I want to make it as easy as possible. So in my wallet, um, I keep one in the outside pocket of my bike jacket um, I keep one in the pocket of my bike jeans, um, and I keep one with in my tank bag, and I keep one in with my paperwork. There's nothing in there that I would be concerned about somebody stealing um, if they walked away with my wallet or my bag. Um, but if I'm in an accident, I'm very, very happy that that information has been found. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, jackets now that have a clear uh, pocket on the outside of the sleeve, on the left sleeve. And you can put that card there, too, where it's really visible, and medics like that. The other one is some helmets now have a little pocket, that uh, a little cover that you can put medical alert information inside, right on the helmet. Well, oh, that's interesting. That. I haven't seen those. Yeah. yeah, it's not very common. I've only seen it on a couple, but I think it's a really good idea. The other one is a sticker on your helmet. Um, I've got one here which I've had for many, many, many years, it says, danger, if injured, do not remove helmet until examined by a doctor. Hmm. That makes you sound creepy, um, but I get the point. Yeah, the other I one was... I've seen that I actually like better that's, that's kind of new, let me think if I can remember it exactly, it says, if you find this helmet and there's a head in it, call a doctor. <laughs> that's like a humor. So if you find this helmet and there's a head in it, it's a bit like to be calling the doctor. <laughs> well, hopefully the body's well, still attached. I was going to say, hopefully it's still attached. Jim, I was talking to a guy a few, um, few weeks back about um, – he, he's got quite a few medical issues. Um, but he doesn't let, let them stop him traveling. Um, but one of the things that he does before he goes to a new country, he always finds out which hospitals within that country have some expertise in his condition. And he carries um, a readily accessible sheet. And each time he goes across the border, um, he has a sheet which says in um, at least one local language, preferably more, um, saying, get me to this hospital and the address of the hospital. 
That's yeah, probably that's good if you have specific issues, but I, you know. No, I mean, that's what I mean. Jones, He's got yeah. a specific issue, but not for an average person. But for somebody who has a specific issue, yeah, um, then you know that you're being transported to the place where they can properly help you rather than going through a stream yeah. of hospitals. Just a side issue. What else other than the card? So that like, like we said, the card's great no matter where you are. You should have it on your bike or in, in your jacket as well. Um, but is there anything else that you guys take with you um, as far as emergency preparedness? Well, I was just going to say there's one other thing besides the card. There's also a USB flash drive that you can have all your medical stuff loaded onto. And there's a standard for that. Well, that's something else to check out. ICE. Yes. Right. So the same as on your phone. A lot of phones even have that programmed in now and ice uh, con- mm-hmm. in your contacts. But but the USB drive, so is it a certain color or something? How, how does a, a medic know when it's they... Got, it's got the usual, um, the medical caduceus thing and the cross on it. Mm. I've seen several different variations on it, but it is available out there. But if you've got, if you, if you can get it all on a card, great. But if you look at it and think, this is going to be a tomb, like Shirley says. Well, maybe the, uh, uh, the USB drive would be a great way to have a little more information in there. And you could do both, and too. Apparently, oh, you could you easily could, do both. You certainly. could put it on the card saying there's a USB drive with complete information there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Grant, do you know if they're waterproof? Because I met a guy the other day who was carrying one um, on his um, key ring. So, you know, whenever he plugged it into his bike, off he went. And I said, is that waterproof? And he said, you know, I've got no idea. I've, <laughs> I've, never, got, I've never got around to checking. But, I mean, that's the logical place to carry it, isn't it? Sure. Or on a, They're not or actually on a waterproof. Your neck. Yeah, that's a better place. So Although you might take a shower with it on. But, uh, that's basically why it needs USB, to be waterproof, yeah. Well, what, USB drives generally aren't waterproof, although you can get ones that are. The main thing is if it's wet – don't put it in the in a computer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they tend to dry and out of course, work. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like I even, I, I don't know if you guys saw on Facebook a while ago, I washed my phone um, at a laundromat. We stopped the laundromat and we quickly threw the laundry in and, and stupid me didn't check my, my back pocket and I'd left my phone in the pocket and went through a full cycle. The phone doesn't work so good anymore, matter of fact, at all. <laughs> but I was I managed to be able to pull the SIM card out, which is sort of the basic, same, same sort of technology, I think, as the SD card. And um, when it was dry, yeah. I'm using it in the other phone now. Yeah, S, uh, SIM cards and SD cards are completely solid state, and you can see the contacts. Mm-hmm. So they're really easy. There's there's no additional bits. But the problem with a flash drive is that it's the, the the SIM card or SD card that you're talking about is inside a plastic casing, which can retain water, and you can't uh. see whether there's any corrosion or whether there's any issues. But in theory, make sure it's dry, and it should be fine. The other thing, of course, to do is not wash your phone. That's a good plan. No, or don't do as the guy did at one of our down. meetings a year or two ago. He, um, the phone fell out of his back pocket as he was sitting down in the outhouse, and he didn't know. Oh, 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 oh! Don't do that either. I had, I had <laughs> this. I had the same Somebody thing happen. Somebody retrieved his phone for him. <laughs> I had the same thing happen with a fairly new phone, and I did retrieve it, and it worked fine for years afterwards, but it was quite the ordeal. And the, yeah, my kids got a kick out of it for years. I'd constantly get ribbed about that. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. There's something about holes that you don't want things to go into that stuff is just, it gravitates to those spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Think about when you're riding and target fixation. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. Exactly the same thing. You're looking at that hole that you don't want something to go in. So what do you do? You chuck it straight in. 
So USB drive, anybody, anything else that you're, that you're taking with you in, in, as, as part of sort of your plan? I think that really covers it. And we haven't ever taken either of them. So that's something for me to organize before we do our next trip. <laughs> the card, you mean? Oh, and the USB drive. I, like, I think that's a good idea oh. too if you can get one of those ones with the medical symbol on it so people know what it yeah, is. We, we had a list of medications that we were carrying and stuff like that, and I think that's that's just you know, it's well, common sense to do that. And that's ease of getting through yeah. borders too, yeah. to have mm-hmm. a list of what medication you've got with you and what it's for. And and if you're going we, – when we did our trip across um, Central Asia and Russia, um, we had the letter – uh, from our doctor translated so it, it, people in that part of the world could read it. And does anyone do any more planning as far as figuring out where you're going or the, or at least when you get to a country and you're, you're planning going in, do you do any sort of looking at anything to do with emergency stuff or not at all? And I'm talking no. about, you I, know, like Sam said, there's one friend researched the, the hospitals because he's a certain condition or anything like that. I think if you start doing things like that, you may not go to some places because you might realise how poor their medical facilities are in comparison to your own, and mm-hmm. you just can't think like that. I mean, you you don't head off on these trips thinking, oh, well, um, we are going to have a serious accident. Well, unless you're Sam, of course, who does 10 serious accidents a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but Sam most of the time... No idea what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I bounce very well. I'm still young enough. <laughs> Sure. The other question that goes along with this is if something happens, what happens to your bike and your gear and stuff? And and do you guys make arrangements with that? Do you tell anybody that whoever you have, you know, when you press your button on your spot, for instance, do you tell the people that, okay, this is what's going to happen. If I need to be evacuated, these are the arrangements you're going to have to deal with a bike or, or, or this is, or at least something you have to deal with. Well, it's certainly something you have to deal with, but we've never sort of thought about telling anyone what to do. It totally depends on the condition of the bike. If you're in an accident and that's why you're calling for help, the bike is either totaled, in which case you don't care, or it's repairable. But in either case, the local police department will have your bike and they will take care of it for the time being until you're able to deal with it. And then once you know what the situation is, then you make a plan. But until then, I think you're going to drive yourself crazy planning for every possible contingency in in a dozen countries that's more trouble than it's worth because the odds are that you're not going to need it. Worry about it when the, it happens. The thing with um, traveling with a carne um, with your bike is your bike has to come back to your country even no. if it is in a box full of spare no. parts. Well, certainly no, that's no, what we were no. told here. Not we true. We were told that here. Okay. No, it's not true. If your bike is totaled in a foreign country, you have to get the police and the border patrol guys to sign off a document and to sign your carnet that the bike is totaled. And the police will say, yes, it is totaled. We are going to put it in the trash. And the border guards will say, the police have given us this information and we're happy. And they sign off the document that the bike has been exported or destroyed, as the case may be. And oh, good. that is good enough. Yeah, yeah that's I've, a critical I've thing. I've come across people where that's actually happened um, and they've had to do that. There was one guy that I met. Um, he was in an accident, but his bike was in really good condition. And one of the police officers said to him, hey, mister, my brother-in-law, he is a customs officer. Maybe we can help you with this. And they did. And they ended up arranging for his bike to be put into um, customs um, storage, which was basically not within the country anymore. 
um, and they stored it there for him um, on the condition that um, he they were paid with a bottle of whiskey when um, he got the bike shipped out again. Good deal. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when, yeah. when Berger and I um, were in um, South America, and following on from Shirley's comment, um, here's me being <laughs> medivaced from Chile back to the UK. <laughs> And it was a really oddball situation. You know, we'd ridden into Chile from Argentina um, and my bike, for some reason, just wasn't stamped into my passport. Um, but Birgit's bike was stamped into her passport. So as far as the customs officials were concerned, my bike could quite happily stay inside Chile without there being a problem while I was being medivaced. But Birgit wasn't allowed to leave on the same medivac plane um, because her bike had been officially imported into Chile. So we ended up actually selling her bike, um, and the selling is in inverted commas, to the son of the doctor who had been treating me. Um, and by doing that, then the bike was actually allowed to stay in Chile until we came back and then the doctor's son sold it back to Burger. Didn't you get slapped with import tax then or, or whatever they're going to do because you left it there? No. Um, they caused all kinds of issues. Yeah, no, I mean, this was all um, agreed with by customs officers out at the airport because my, my um, private air ambulance is sitting out there on the, air, on the runway with pilot You have pilot a private co- air ambulance? You, you, you use it that much? That's incredible. I mean, I, I, mean, I knew you did a lot of these. Sam but... side of it. I, I'm upgrading to a Lear, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, but I no, resist. This, Well, quite exactly. I, I deserve every bit you give me. Um, um, there's, there's a doctor and a nurse sitting in this, and um, the plane's not allowed to leave. So, you know, this is costing a lot of money. But the police and the customs officers, they just wanted to find a solution. They weren't looking for making life difficult. They were just, hey, it's chilly. The officials follow the rules there. Um, they know Ooh. what the rules are. Ooh. They know how they're supposed to work. Um, and they'll want to stick to them. But they'll do whatever they can to help you make them work and that's exactly what happened and this is one of the things that bothers me so much you know when we hear so constant scare stories about traveling actually most people in most places want to help you make it work Uh, and to me to me sam that comes back to attitude if you've got a bombastic aggressive attitude people will not help you yep but uh, nine times out of ten um, with the, the right attitude, um, these officials will help you and find a way through any situation that you come up with. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've heard of people leave their bikes with um, Horizons Unlimited communities. Mm-hmm. I've heard them having built up a great relationship um, with a hotel. They've been staying there for a little bit long and then something goes wrong, but they've got this great relationship with the hotelier. And he says, yeah, sure, we'll look after your bike for you. Um, and under it goes yeah. in the tarp out the back and it's absolutely fine when they fly back in again yeah yeah we left our bike at um at a hotel in Ushuaia when we did the boat trip down to antarctica and when we came back the guy on the reception desk said that the owner had had a really good time riding it <coughs> excuse me <laughs> and we looked at him and we thought is he serious? No, he's not serious. He couldn't possibly be serious, but we still don't know whether the owner actually took it out for a spin while it was there. You left the keys? No, no. no. If you want to, you can hotwire anything. It's true. Well, I can't, but some people can. Are you looking at Brian when you But you know Brian what you're saying about... No. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but I could. <laughs> 
But you know what you're saying about the having the bike stamped into your passport? So often um, when we were travelling, they'd put that same stamp into my passport even though I didn't actually have a vehicle. And on other occasions, like when we left Colombia to go to Panama and we flew and the bike flew, no one said, where's your bike or why are you on uh, an aeroplane and not on your bike? The only problem we had was the people at the um, check-in wouldn't put us on the plane until we bought an air ticket out of Panama because Australia wouldn't let Panamanians into their country without um, an outgoing ticket, so they weren't going to let us into Panama without an outgoing ticket. And we're saying to them, but we have a bike and it's actually on this plane. Don't care. They don't care. Don't care. We had had the stamp in the passport, we had the paperwork to show the bike was on their plane, and they just didn't care. So it's a funny thing. Sometimes you think that stamp is is, everyone's going to understand what it means but sometimes they don't or they don't care. We went, no, no, and, bought, we went and bought a totally Cheap. refundable ticket. Um, I went to the ticket office and Cheap. asked for the cheapest <laughs> ticket out of Panama. I didn't care where it went, um, uh, fully refundable. And then when we got to um, Panama City, we went to the airline office and he said, yes, this ticket is fully refundable and in three months the money will be back on your credit card. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that was a little bit yeah. of a shock to the system. But it's safe. You know, we tried arguing and it just wasn't getting, it wasn't getting us anywhere. It didn't matter what piece of paper we showed them. So you just relent and say, okay, fine, we'll just go and buy two tickets, which we did, and they were, they were as happy as a lark. You did yeah. really well to find somebody that would sell you fully refundable tickets because that's um, a problem that many overlanders have. They can't. Um, and they find that, yeah, they'll get a refund, but it might only be for 60% of, of the ticket yeah. price, that sort of yeah. thing. There's a huge administration fee. Well, the um, the airline counter about 10 feet away from that was the ticket sales office. And uh, I guess maybe we were lucky. They weren't cheap tickets, though, let me tell you, Sam. If you were on a really tight budget, I mean, we were only, what, five months into a a trip that we didn't know when it was going to end. So it didn't matter to us so much that that quite large amount of money was off our credit card for three months. But if you were on a really tight budget and you were getting towards the end of your trip, that could make a real difference to you, not having access to that money. That happened to me and Birgit. Um, We were coming up um, into Colombia and we were hearing these stories from other travellers on the Travellers Grapevine. And um, we were beginning to get quite edgy about this situation because we didn't have the money to buy, um, you know, airline tickets that we weren't going to get refunded and all of this sort of stuff. And so we ended up going to the Panamanian embassy in um, Bogota, which was an experience in itself. Um, and we happened to strike it lucky and find a, a Panamanian official who, with a little bit of enthusiasm and flattery from Birgit, decided that actually he was going to f- get permission for us to do it. And he ended up drafting this wonderful document that the other side, when we arrived in Panama, didn't want to accept. But um, once we told them that it actually came from the embassy and they, were, they inspected it properly and saw the rubber stamps and the embossed stamp and all this sort of stuff, they very begrudgingly um, said yes. Um, we didn't think of doing that. That was possible. a that was that's yeah, a really good idea. But the funny thing is, we arrived at the airport in Panama City, and the customs guy couldn't have given two hoots about whether we had an. He didn't ask us if we had an outgoing ticket. He didn't ask us if we had a motorbike. He just stamped by, get going, 
Nigel. Classic. Well, Classic. remember, it's not his job. It's supposed to have been done at the other end. Anybody yeah, that's coming true. in has to have a way out or they can't get on the plane. So it's yeah. not his job to check it. He's yeah, not worried about it. Good yeah. point. Oh, well, I could have just had total disinterest, which we find a lot, a lot of at airports. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the nice thing about airports versus uh, sea freight. You sea freight, everybody's interested in everything, and they want their hand in the pocket for everything too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But isn't it true what you were saying, Stan, Sam, when they see the stamps? Yep. Oh, yes. Officials love stamps. Absolutely. More and bigger the better. Ah, oh, just The and, first and, trip I ever, ever did – um, I guess I was, well, the first long-term trip, I was 21 years old and there was a black market for rubber stamps. And you, could sort of, <laughs> you, you could rock into places where lots of overlanders would go and stay and there'd always be somebody who was making copy rubber stamps of various official things and you just get a piece of paper and type it on whatever, it was typewriter in, the, in those days and then whack a whole load of rubber stamps across it and it worked every time. Not that I ever did it, of course. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Is that one of your stories yeah. where you ended up in the back of a car and got some questionable stamps or something, Sam? Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> I never do anything questionable when I'm traveling. You know me. Oh, it's probably no, a statute of limitations. Should be right. I just meant an odd place to get stamps. I, I remember reading that in somebody's story. And I remember that there's a... It's actually possible to take a half of a potato and turn it into a rubber stamp. Just oh, yeah. carve it up very carefully and slowly, and it's quite impressive, actually. I've seen it. Not that I've uh, used so it. We used it. to do that when we were kids. You'd get a potato exactly. and make a design on it. So I never thought about doing it as an official stamp, but by crikey, there's something to fill in a, a cold winter's afternoon. Practicing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something you, you learn in jail. you just take that potato grant is there anything we're missing here do you think as far as you know emergency preparedness for for overland travel i think that's that we've covered it pretty well the important things of course are to make sure you've got your contact person back at the beginning and that they're know what you're doing you've got a backup you've got all your medical information is available in a variety of places um Make sure everybody knows what you want to do. Make sure your medical travel insurance is organized and you've got all the information for that available in your wallet or online, or preferably both, or it should be both, certainly. Um, Those are certainly the basics. Past that, I think that's about it. I think we've covered it pretty well. You could always start by planning not to have an accident. That's Doing your your level best to avoid it. Sam? Tried that. Tried that. <laughs> You're still trying it, right? Yeah, still trying. <laughs> what is it? Somebody said uh, there is not try, there is do. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Well, Sam, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna, we're going to run a little contest here, aren't we? For um, for some books. Why don't you talk about that? We are indeed. Um, I would like to um, do a competition for five co- um, copies of the um, Tortillas the Totems audiobook um, for download. And this has been out for a couple of months now. And um, yeah, so I've got some some download codes. So um, Jim and I were talking about this and we thought, well, why don't we run a competition and um, people can win themselves um, a free download? 
So, so um, basically what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to, we, we've got some questions, right? Uh, and they're going to have to find the answers to the questions about your travels. And mm-hmm. with that, how, how are they going to win? They're going to, um, are they going to post it or are they emailing you? Okay. Um, the first thing they need to, um, the winners are going to do is that they're going to go to the Adventure Rider Radio Raw Facebook page and they're going to like it. Um, that's where they're going to find the questions. So I'm going to read them out anyway, but um, that's where they'll find the questions. So nobody actually has to write them down because you've got to go and like the page to be in the competition anyway. Um, and that's where you'll also find um, the link to the questions actually on the, um, what you'll find the questions on the, the raw F, uh, Facebook page. What people will need to do then is to click on that link and that link will take them to a contacts box and you fill in your answers to the three questions within that um, contact box. And um, the first five people will get straight in touch with and um, we'll give you the download code for Audible and um, you win. And um, I'm afraid anybody who isn't there quick enough, well, um, I'm going to be on the move quite a lot. So um, I hope you'll bear with me. You'll hear if you win. If you don't win, you won't hear. Okay. So five, the first five. And um, what's the, you want to give the questions now or do you want to make them go to the page? No, let's give the questions now. Because, well, why not? Because then people will see, actually, two of these questions are really easy. And anybody who listens to Adventure Rider Radio Raw or has listened to Adventure Rider Radio um, will instantly know the answers. But the third one's a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, let's give people a chance, everybody a chance. So the first question is, how many miles did I ride over the eight-year trip around the world? So how many miles did I ride? I know this one. Shush, Jim. Oh, oh, Be quiet. You're not allowed to say. Um <laughs> Second you shouldn't question. be allowed to enter, Jim. <laughs> I'm exactly. allowed to enter. Are you serious? What kind of, a, yeah, what kind of a contest is that? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody who works within this organization is allowed to enter. That's the that's usual the phrase, print, isn't yeah. it? It is, yeah. That's right. So the second question is, how many countries was I lucky enough to explore on this eight-year trip? And the third question is, where did Burgess and I meet? A dive in Panama, in Kathmandu on Freak Street, the wild coast of South Africa, or a backpacker's hostel in New Zealand? So those are the three Ooh. questions. You've been to all these places. Absolutely. Including the dive in Panama. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's... So is um, there a supplementary question of how many countries has Sam been medically evac out of? <laughs> <laughs> Am I starting to labour this point, Sam? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, I haven't got enough fingers to count that high. That, that gives me the opportunity to say, well, if everybody has read my books, then yes. they have a chance to win the next competition because maybe that's a question that we'll, we'll put in the next competition. <laughs> That would be good. Now, Sam, that link takes you to a page with, there's no form on here. I'm not sure if that link is right that you sent me. Okay. So the the link will take you to a page on my website and you just scroll all the way down to the bottom of that page and there you'll find um, the link to um, the 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 box to fill in with your details. And, and the details are just um, what's your email address um, and um, your answer to the questions. So it's very simple to do. Yep, I see it. It's at the bottom. Enter the Adventure Rider Radio Raw Tortillas to Totems audiobook competition using the contact form here. Good luck. And you click on that contact form, and that opens it up, and away you go. 
Okay, very good. This is very cool. So you can pick yourself up a free audio book. That is very cool. And it's Tortillas to Totems, which um, is uh, your last book in the series. It is. It takes um, the listener through um, Mexico, the United States, and Canada. And to be quite honest, this continent was absolutely full of surprises. And it was the continent that surprised me the most. And I write about what those surprises were. Um, Some of them were preconceived ideas about what North America was going to be like. And Samuel Johnson, um, one of my favorite all-time traveling quotes was by Samuel Johnson. And it says this, the use of traveling is to regulate imagination by reality. And instead of thinking about how things may be, to see them for how they are. And I love that because isn't that what traveling, so much of traveling is about? We go because we really want to see what a place is like and not by how we imagine it to be from the things that we are fed by whatever form of media or whatever form it, it, it is. Um, and that's one of the things that, for me, makes traveling rock. Um, and North America, yeah, it really, really surprised me. I mean, not only because of the amazing landscapes and the complete contrasts between Mexico, United States, and Canada. I mean, one continent, but three hugely different countries, culture, geography, history, the lot. Um, and, yeah, so I try to describe all of those things in Tortillas to Totems. I've got to agree with you, Sam, about the US. When we um, went to the US, I'd been there a few times just to Los Angeles, New York, that kind of thing. But when we crossed into into Texas, I thought, oh, well, you know, this is all going to be a bit ho-hum, you fast food, all the usual um, things, preconceptions that you have. And I must admit, I said to Brian one day, I didn't think these words would ever tumble out of my mouth, but boy, do I love Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just the start of a love affair with with um, the US in particular. I mean, Canada, I just adore, but I, I didn't expect to love the US and I really did. Yep. Nice. Nice one. So good luck, everybody. So just for our, our final conversation here, we were going to talk about comfort while sleeping. This is something that I think this actually becomes more of an issue the older you get, because when I was little and started backpacking, I could sleep on the ground. I didn't use a mat. There was no need for it. I just put my sleeping bag down and I would fall to sleep in my sleeping bag. No problem at all. But, um, and it could be, and I keep blaming this, it could be something to do with the sun and the hardening of the earth. That's making it more hard, but I definitely feel it more now than when I was young. So, um, certainly curious because this is a good tip when you're riding your bike you want a good place to sleep and if we're camping we want to sleep comfortable you know obviously wake up revitalize in the morning so um what are we using what, what, what are you guys using for your outdoor bedding what does it consist of well um i'll start being of a sort of the other side of 30 i guess I, oh, i'll admit geez. to you're older than 30 <laughs> wow Oh, Jim, bless you, bless you, bless you. But I'm like you. I think it is a (laughs) a handful of months. Um, As a consequence of global warming, the ground is certainly getting harder. There's no doubt about that. Oh, definitely. And you do need a mat. We have, um, what sort of mats are they? Thermarest, I think. But they're good mats and we have big Agnes sleeping bags, which are brilliant for when we're camping. But one thing, um, we don't camp all the time and a lot of people say to us, well, you know, how do you go when you're staying in hotels? Sometimes hotels can be a bit dodgy. Sometimes they don't wash their linen perhaps as often as you would like them to. And we always carry those silk sleeping bag liners that you can get from any camping store and we sleep in those. 
and they are they take up virtually no room. They weigh virtually nothing, and um, and the other thing is always wrap up if you if the pillow looks dodgy. I carry um, a sarong, and I just wrap up my jumper and put that over underneath my head. So the only thing touching your skin is stuff that you know when it was last watched. Okay, but so yeah. is this just a like sort of a pacifier thing? Because do you think that silk liner actually protects you from anything? Or does it? It is a pacifier, Jim. And now you've said that, I'm going to worry and need to get something else to take on. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thanks, just what I need. Couldn't resist. Jim, I've stayed, I've stayed in some hotels in places like India and um, the, the, sh- the bed sheets are so dirty you can see where the family of five have been sleeping on the double bed. <laughs> oh, yuck. Yeah. One of our first – when we first headed off in 1987, we went into Baja, Mexico – and one of the first places we stayed at, I remember walking in and getting set to go to bed, flipped the cover back, and I swear the entire thing moved. Just, just <laughs> yeah, covered. silk liner wouldn't have fended you. Your silk liner will have no. you good there. No, no. <laughs> oh, I, I, I will never forget this horrendous, oh, my God, there's millions of them. Do you ever find you sleep on the floor because of it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Done that. I pull out the sleeping bag, sleeping mattress, and sleep on that instead. It's just gross. I've thrown the mattress on the floor and then just um, slept on my ground sheets with my sleeping mat and um, sleeping bag on the bed springs. Yeah. Um, because yep. sometimes okay. the floor has been um, incredibly gross, and um, you're just as bad off on the floor as you are on that stinky mattress and sheets. Yeah. Oh, one yeah. can you only presume if they if they don't change the sheets, chances are they don't vacuum. <laughs> I mean vacuum? Are you kidding me? <laughs> they don't wash from one year to the next. <laughs> I stayed in one place where the floor was so dirty. Walking one across one side of the room to the other, um, every every footstep, I was at risk of of losing a flip flop because it was sticking to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can get gross. See, that's the reason you always carry flip flops with dirty floor and dirty showers. Absolutely, yep. too right. Yep, yep. Um, you know. Shirley Silk um, sleeping bag liner. Um, I like those too because they get they're they're very thin, and um, when it's hot they they're warmer. When it's cold they're cooler, and they dry with a, a breath of fresh air, and that's it. Yeah. If uh, inevitably they wear out sooner or later, and if I can't get a silk one while I'm travelling, and quite often actually you can find really really cheap silk in some of the markets, so you can sit and hand stitch your own. Um, but um, quite often I'll, I'll get some cotton and you'll find um, – you'll have an experience finding a local tailor that will sew you one up. And it's all part of the, the travel game. And it, what a great souvenir to walk away with a, a local cotton sleeping bag liner that somebody, you know, has made. But oh, and some is, of the nice fabrics you can get in those places. Mm-hmm. And you'll always find someone in the market with a sewing machine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And sign language, wonderful. Just you may end up with a sleeping bag liner that's actually meant for somebody who's significantly larger than you are. <laughs> <laughs> or smaller. That's okay. Sam, I know or you smaller. meant that the other way around. I know you meant that warmer when the cold and cooler in the heat, but I just thought I'd point oh, that out. Oh, did I get that back yeah, to front? I thought I'd just point oh, that sorry. out. Um, to, but, but what else do you, Sam? What are you sleeping on? Um, I use a, um, a sli- I've got um, a thermarest for when the temperatures are relatively warm, you know, sort of average tempera- temperature range, and um, I use an Exped um, down um, filled um, sleeping mat for when it's um, very cold, 
because of course a lot of the cold comes um, through the ground mm. not necessarily through the air so if you've got that underneath you and I've slept out um, in sort of eight inches of snow um, using that um, X bed and been as warm as anything um, so that's been really good and the other thing that I recommend for when it's particularly cold um, is um, a fleece slim sleeping bag line and again you can pick up fleece material in all over the world now um, most countries you can find somebody who's selling rolls of fleece and um, that makes a huge difference um, to beefing up um, let's say you've got a three season sleeping bag like mine which is a bit elderly well a fleece um, sleeping bag liner down inside it and you're away again and again the beauty of those is that they dry really quickly and yeah, they're easy to wash. One of the things that I find is is handy is um, a hat and some booties. Like so, in other words, if you if you can carry some down booties with you, it, these are two things that I carry with me all the time. The hat for sure, because uh, I find it it just makes all the difference. If it's slightly cool out, the hat will make, just make you so much warmer. And same as the booties, hat, head and feet are are big, especially in obviously in cooler temperatures. I uh, totally agree. I mean, mummy sleeping bags are the go, aren't they? Mm -hmm. um, where you've got the sort of um, wrap around your head part of it. But I, I carry um, a fleece um, bobble hat type thing. Um, and it's one of those multi-purpose bits of kit, isn't it? When it's cold outside, then you've got it on your head, but you're sleeping in it at night time well, too. It makes a massive difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the booties, the booties are a great idea, but for us... Well, I think we're all follically challenged now that Graham's not here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he makes up for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> he, he does. does yeah. The, um, the, you know, a beanie is essential. You know, you just uh, that you lose so much uh, temperature through your head. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. Everyone should have one of those. Grant, what do you say? Uh, well, I was going to say that on the hat, um, we all have heard the, the the myth, unfortunately, that we lose fifty percent of our heat through our head, but it's actually not true. It's more like 5 to 10%. But it is significant, and wearing a hat on your head when you're in bed can, can make quite a difference in how cold you feel. Um, booties, if you've got a decent down bag, I'm not too worried about it. Um, just the hat makes a difference for me. But the, our, our sleeping system has changed a lot over the years. I, I, way back when I was like Jim, start, had nothing. Then I went to a quarter inch insulite pad and thought that was great. And then thought, hmm, could do maybe a little, this three eighths inch thick one looks really good. And then a half inch. Oh yeah, that's, that's Nirvana. And a few years later, nah, that's not good enough. And I went to a thermarest with the, the fairly thin ones. And then the later thermarests, we traveled around the world with the quite thin ones. They were only about maybe an inch, 25 millimeters thick. And we thought they were okay, but they weren't what you would call great, but they did the job. And now we've since gone, we experimented with a really thick camping mat that uh, Thermarest has. It was like uh, two inches or 50 millimeters thick and really comfortable in theory. Just, no, nah, not anymore. It just doesn't quite cut it. So we're doing, we went to the XPED like Sam did which we found to be absolutely brilliant. The uh, down fill makes a huge difference. Um, way back when, I actually had air mattress, the, a really thin air mattress that was like maybe two inches thick and packed down to not much bigger than maybe two fists. And that was really good, except if it was cold, you had to put an insulite pad underneath it so you didn't freeze to death. Mm -hmm. yeah. So some, sooner or later, somebody figured out, you know, the air mattress is comfortable, but it's not warm. So what do we do? So they started putting insulate, or sorry, not insulate, um, down and various synthetic fills. And that makes a massive difference. I'm, I find that I'm very comfortable in virtually any condition 
with the uh, XPED type mattress. We're actually using a Big Agnes now, which is uh, synthetic fill, which I'm not really excited about, but it does a really good job and it's got reflective layers and all kinds of exotic design tweaks. And it's super comfortable and it's warm. I've never been cold in it. And, you know, it's saying about. Sorry, Grant, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, what you're saying about keeping your feet warm. Yeah. My big Agnes bag is specifically designed for women and has mm-hmm. more padding or down, whatever, over the feet area. Yes. Mm. It's much, yeah. much thicker than Brian's in the feet department. Consequently, it does take up a little bit more room. But in a stuff sack, it, it really scrunches down. But it's, um, it's really good with that. Yeah, um, that is something that uh, most sleeping bags should have more in the foot. If you really look at one in profile, the foot is always bigger and fatter and it should be more filled for that reason. But women especially, yes, they do do that. Special is, is one of the differences they make in specific women's bags. Yep, more insulation on the feet for sure. Yeah, we were very we're yep. very impressed with our big Agnes gear. Well, we yep. were, apart from the mattress that we bought initially, oh, yeah. um, when we were travelling through uh, your part of the world um, up in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, the um, the mattress kept going bloody flat. And let's we rephrase were, that: Shirley's mattress kept going flat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, but it uh, did disturb Brian's sleep when I had to get out of my sleeping bag to reinflate it in the middle of the night so I could oh, go back to you sleep. Think we could find the hole. <laughs> no way, no, we could find this little pin prick hole. So next time we stayed in a hotel uh, with a bath. Here I am. I blew up the um, thermo- uh, the, the mattress inside, um, got in the bath naked with this thing, <coughs> wrestling it under the water so I could see where the hole was. That sounds like so, a YouTube moment to me. Try, try, <laughs> try soapy water next time, Brian. A <laughs> little bit of soapy water uh, makes the job pretty easy. <laughs> there you go, Brian. You've learned another thing today. Uh, yep. Soapy sure water makes bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Did you find the hole? <laughs> yeah, eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, that's what we're using now. One little thing about the Big Agnes, they have a sleeping bag which has no underneath insulation and you put the mattress in it as the underneath. Yeah. Mm. So and that's cool. what we have. Well, yeah, that's what mine yeah. is. Super compact. They're brilliant. Mine's getting pretty uh, old now. Don't... But mine's ultra light. Has has uh, it's down and has no insulation on the back whatsoever. But, but a lot of people don't realize that the insulation on the back of the sleeping bag, the, the underside, doesn't do much because you squish it down. So it, it's it really is exactly. of very little value. It's the mat that's keeping you warm. But yep. the ones where you put the mat inside the sleeping bag, inside the pocket on the bottom, which is what our sleeping bags have got. You can't roll off your mat in the middle of the night and end up sleeping on the floor, on the ground, because <laughs> the mat's attached to yeah, you. Yeah, which is a bonus if you're picking a, a sloped camping spot. Yeah. Or any, or if you toss yeah. and turn a lot. If you're a toss and turner, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, a tip that I can suggest um, to people who are traveling in cold countries for a long time and they're using a place um, as a base. So in other words, they're going out exploring and let's say they're going to stay um, there for one week and each day they're heading off out and then they're coming back to their tent and um, and so on. I go and find the local fridge or freezer shop, that sort of thing, and um, I'll ask if they've got any six foot long um, empty boxes and um, I'll fold one of those up and I'll take it back and I'll put it in my tent and it'll go underneath my sleeping bag, uh, sleeping mat and the difference that that layer of cardboard makes is massive. Yeah, anything you can put underneath makes a big difference. Mm. 
Yeah, I put my riding gear underneath the air mattress as well. Mm. That works really easily. But, uh, the other tip that I've got is our sleeping bags have evolved as well. But way back when, we decided, newly married and all that, that we didn't want separate mummy bags. And Susan couldn't stand the idea of a uh, mummy bag, just way too constricting. So the sleeping bags we have are what's called a not a full mummy. It's a fat mummy or otherwise known as a rec- semi-rectangular. And you can open them up and zip the two together so that one is on top of the other. And the real trick is one of them is a very lightweight summer bag and the other is a heavyweight winter bag. So depending on the temperature, you've either got lots of cushioning underneath and really thin bag on top, or you flip it and you've got the thin bag underneath, but the really thick one on top, and you're still inside the sleeping bags with some very nice underneath. Works really well. Super. Very, very nice. Never, never heard of that. Who makes that? Oh, lots of, lots of companies do. It's mm. just one of the options. You go into the sleeping bag store and you look for one that's not quite full mummy. And can I zip these two together? And make sure you don't get the ones that zip together side by side. Yeah, that's side what we've got. Don't work. Yeah, that's not as good because you haven't got this choice of temperature. And no. we were thinking of camping in Canada versus camping in Panama. And you, you would like some temperature adjustment. And this design works really well. So it should be readily available. I've seen them in lots of places. I think my top tip for um, staying warm when you're camping is um, the old drinking water bottle, you know, the aluminium bottles that uh, you get for carrying your, your drinking water and just um, boil a kettle and um, fill one of those, wrap it in a T-shirt, stick it down the bottom of your sleeping bag. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you could always heat some rocks in your fire and put your rocks wrapped in a towel at your feet. That'd be another one. I'm glad that's your towel, not mine. (laughs) Anyway, so moving on to plugs. I guess we're at that point. Um, Grant, what do you have? Plugs, our big plug is the usual events. We have so many events going on now that that's about all I can ever think of. It's just constant, nonstop. I was mentioning at the beginning of the show that we just finished the uh, Hum Monashies, and I'm going to the Appalachians tomorrow, uh, which will be all over by the time everybody hears this. Then immediately after that, we've got the Can West event in British Columbia in good old Nacusp, which is one of our favorite events. It's a fantastic riding area, um, good fun event, lots of people, lots of presentations. We've got so much going on, it's crazy. And from there, uh, we've got lots in North America. We've got uh, North Carolina, California coming up in August and September, and Europe. I don't know, I think we're halfway through the season in Europe. In Europe, we've got the Hags Bank Mini Meet. Uh, we've got uh, the Hum in Spain coming up in October. And Germany, autumn meeting. They always have a summer and an autumn meeting. They're, those guys are crazy for events. Um, and then, of course, we've got events ca- happening in Australia as of September, too. And don't forget France, which is a big event this year. That's going to be a fun one. Unfortunately, we can't get to them all much as we'd like to. We've got actually got three events happening on the same weekend on three different continents, France, Queensland, wow. and California, all September 21 to 24. So that's a little nuts. So if you're hoping to meet us, toss a coin and see which one we'll be at. <laughs> we expect you, to be at California for that. Do you mark on the website which ones you're going to? No, we don't, but that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe I should. Hmm. Yes. Anyway, there's lots of events wherever you are in the world. There's always something happening somewhere nearby. We've got 27 events altogether this year, so... There should be something. You said you're at California. You're going to be at Can West. And are you at Ontario as well? No. 
not going to make it to Ontario. Um, I'm trying to think where we will be at next. I think those are actually the only ones we're going to be. We might be at South Africa, but that's not for sure. When's that? And that's it. South Africa. If you've never been to South Africa, you want to go to the South Africa meeting. That's November 9 to 12. This is it's an amazing event. It's fairly small, uh, but it's in a game lodge right on a beautiful fishing river right across the street from the owner's game reserve where you can go for a ride on your bike in a game reserve and watch all the animals from your bike. That's one not to miss. It's a fantastic mm. venue. Mm. I've seen the photographs of it, Grant. It looks absolutely amazing. Oh, it is. It is. It's, it's one not to be missed. If you're anywhere near the area or you want to just plan on having, where am I going to go for a fantastic vacation? This is where you want to go. The host there, Kobus Furi and his people are absolutely spectacular hosts. If you say you're from Horizons Unlimited, you can get some free accommodation as well in the mm -hmm. game reserve. So how's that for an offer? Wow. He's very welcoming. He's, Kobus has been a motorcyclist for his whole life, and he's ridden from uh, Cape Town all the way to Cairo, and he's ridden all over Southern Africa. He knows every road. He's just an amazing host, so don't uh, miss a chance to get there. It's fantastic. Well, yes, lots right. of good stuff happening there. Okay, well, Brian, what do you have for us? Um, I um, have our wall-to-wall -wall ride um, coming up on the, from Melbourne on the 16th of September going to Canberra, um, raising money for um, Police Legacy. Um, I'll have about 300 riders will be going up the, um, the coast of uh, um, um, Eastern Australia staying overnight in Marimbula and then on to Canberra where we'll meet up with about 2,000 other riders um, for a little service and uh, all money's going to um, uh, Legacy and Yamaha support this event so well that they've given us a, that they give us a bike every year to auction or raffle or whatever we want to do with it and yet this year they've given us an MTO9, a triple um, cylinder 900cc bike which is a really, really good bike. Um, to raffle off and raise money. So that's on the cards. And if anyone in Australia sees a, a whole group of motorcyclists, and they come from all over Australia, from Darwin and Perth, all over the place, um, give us a wave. Uh, this year we'll have um, some Texans coming out to ride with us, and we're going to take them for a ride through New South Wales into Victoria, down the Great Ocean Road, and, and around through beautiful Tasmania. Um, through September. So if you see us on the road, give us a wave and say good day. 300 riders and all going together. That's incredible. That's a lot of, that's a lot of bikes. Yeah. Yeah. We're riding, uh, taking 300 riders, approximately 1100 kilometers over two days to get to Canberra. And then there's a small, a ride, when I say a small ride out, we block the main uh, thoroughfare in Canberra um, to escort over 2,000 riders and we get them through in about uh, between 12 and 15 minutes. With a lap around oh. um, Parliament, Parliament House. House. Yeah. How do you manage the so 300? It's a bit of organisation. How do you manage the it's 300 riders? It's under police riders? escort, Jim. Oh, for well, the two days? What we do, uh, what we do is um, we get a, a green light corridor escort out of the city uh, onto the freeway and we sit in the fast lane so there's no one cutting in on us and we get escorted out of the city. Um, local services clubs um, provide lunches and all that sort of stuff, and we said to them, you know, we're happy to pay for lunches uh, and keep the money for your local charities. And what, what happens is they end up 
um, giving us uh, all that money and which all goes into legacy, which is just fantastic. Mm. Um, so it becomes a really good community event and people get a positive attitude towards motorcycling um, and the visibility of motorcycling and we get a lot of uh, different riders at all different um, levels. So um, we look after them as best we can. But uh, I'm really looking forward to getting the Texas boys out here and showing them our part of the world because they were just fantastic to us too when we were over there. Well, that sounds like a great event. That's a lot of riders. Shirley, what do you have for us? Oh, I guess um, I'll just pick up on what Grant was saying. We've got Horizons Chindabine, which is the Snowy Mountains Horizons in November. And um, that should be a really fun weekend and uh, lots of good riding around the Snowy Mountains. And um, the weather should be pretty damn perfect. Last year it was perfect. Uh, so check out the website and come and join us in Chindabine. Yeah, I was blown away by the riding in the area when I was there looking for the uh, venue. It's, it's just a terrific riding. It is. And the scenery is just spectacular with the mountains and the big lake. And there's some dirt roads and some good sealed roads. It's, um, it's something for everyone. And you got loads of presentations going on there? We have. And um, also, I have to say, the food is absolutely spectacular. We went thinking, oh, well, you know, you're trying to feed 200 people. It's never going to be gourmet food. Well, oh, damn it, it was. The, it freshest, was. <laughs> the freshest salads. Yeah. Every meal was really, really delicious. And a lot of people, you know, when they're paying for food and camping, they want the best. Well, you're going to get it at Jindabyne. Yeah, that's for sure. We heard nothing but rave reviews. People said, I've never had such good food at an event before, ever. And the variety of it, Grant, was really you should come. You'd enjoy it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I what, day did, what day did you say this was, Shirley? It's the... Uh, 16th to 19th November. 16th to 19th November. Thanks, Grant. It's in our diary. We will be there. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You're running it. <laughs> when, when's uh, when's uh, Hub UK on next year? Because we will probably be there, Grant. Oh, good. June 14 to 17. We'll try and work that. We'll try and work it into our diary, yeah. I'll expect it. (laughs) (laughs) And we can guarantee you absolutely fantastic weather. Last year, or sorry, this year, the weather was absolutely spectacular. I hope you're touching. And it'll be the same next year. Oh, there's a big call. (laughs) We went went to our our first Horizons was in UK in in 2003. And let me tell you, I have never experienced such Bad weather, and we pulled we pulled in on the bike, and there were three, uh, two guys and a girl standing underneath an awning, and as we got off the bike, one of them said to us in this very broad New Zealand accent, "Are you guys having fun now?" <laughs> and those those three people are still really good friends of ours. Fourteen years later. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. And of course, when you said on the way, uh, go to the website and check the details on that, that's going to be horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events. That's exactly it. Okay. Sam, what do you have for us? I would like to be sneaky, if I may, and do two plugs. Ooh. One is for me, and one is for a very special person. And I'd like to do this very special person first. I'm going to be quick. I would like everybody who is listening to this program to take out just a minute of their day and do a Google search for Claire Goes 
bike about. So that's C-L-A-I-R-E, goes bike about. All one word, dot com. And I am not going to say anything else because I think that everybody who goes to that link is going to think, wow. Um, and you'll see why I've said that when you get there. The plug for me is, well, my next USA trip is coming up. I'm really pleased the docs have said that I'm healing well enough to be able to do it. I'm not going to be riding a bike. They've said that I'm not allowed to ride a bike until November at the very earliest. So I'm afraid it's going to be higher car, but that'll be um, new. And Shirley, you'll be very pleased to know that I can't fall off a, a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I, um, I won't worry so much about you then. Oh, that's <laughs> on good. This trip. Well, well, now hang on, Sam. Before you just throw in the towel and, and go with a car, you, you could rent a spider. Oh. oh, don't be ridiculous. Just take the car. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know, I've seen one of these things off-roading, and they were actually really impressive. Really? I haven't seen um, that. And, of course, I couldn't fall off one of those either, no, could I? that's what mm. I'm thinking. That might be the Sandmobile. planted. But, you know, one of, the, one of the great joys must be, I've never done it and I would love to do it, and that's traversing the U.S. in a top-down Mustang. <laughs> mm. so I can if certainly I was you, see Sam, do that. My budget is going to stretch that far. I'm probably going to be in something that I can just about stretch out into sleep inside <laughs> to cover some <laughs> of the costs of renting the blooming thing. But hey, um, I'm I'm really happy because the docs have said yes. So I've got. Um, five things that I'm going to go to. And the first is um, AIM Expo, which this year for the first year is being held in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm absolutely delighted because ADV Moto Magazine have invited me to be with them. And um, Daniel Rintz is going to be with them as well. So we're going to have a real buzz going on um, around the ADV Moto Magazine stand. And that's the 23rd to the 24th of September, the the, the public days. Um, Followed on from that is Overland Expo East near Asheville in North Carolina. Um, and that is the 29th to the 1st of October. Um, this is on the Biltmore Estate. And it's it. This place is drop-dead gorgeous. It's one of my new favorite sayings, drop-dead gorgeous, because it really applies to some places in this world of ours. And it's a superb venue. Um, really good, buzzy atmosphere. Um, the next is Motorcycles of Charlotte in Charlotte, and that's on October the 7th. And that is followed by Eurosport in Asheville, North Carolina. That's October the 17th. And the beauty of these dates is I've got 10 days there, which I can be off out and about exploring. So in your top-down Mustang? Well, probably in my mental top-down Mustang. Maybe <laughs> I should just take a, a large tin opener with me. <laughs> sure, sure, you're too old to go topless. Can we note that it's taken him an hour and 45 minutes before he started slagging off at me? <laughs> I can't believe he's still sitting there in his leathers waiting to go riding. Oh, yeah. just, I'm the, just the about truth, to put the boots on. The truth he has, the is, he's not sitting there in his leathers because he's about to go for a ride, but he was going to try and get away with um, the impact. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Surely. It's his safe, his safe talking gear. <laughs> and while he's been sitting here, he's just opened up Facebook. And let me tell you, the first thing that's come up is a photo taken three years ago in Toke, Alaska. And there's me and Brian, our dear friends, Ken and Carol Duval, 
and two young men from Adelaide who rode from Adelaide to Anchorage raising money for charity and we were in the Toke motorcycle campground. I don't know if any of you have ever stayed there. It's a fantastic place. And being good Aussies, we bought a big slab of beer and by the time it was getting close to putting the meat on the barbecue, we had to go back into town and get another one. (laughs) (laughs) That's Aussies for you. It was an awesome night. And it's one of those, you know how Facebook do that, share your memories? Well, that picture has just brought back memories of one of the best nights and one of the one of the greatest things about what we do, all of us, and that's the people you meet on the road. Oh, absolutely. Here, here. I actually yeah. kind of like that feature from Facebook where it brings back the memories because sometimes it'll pop something up from, well, for example, I saw one the other day from, from, from six years ago and I thought, geez, you know, I haven't thought about that memory for such a yeah. long time. How yeah. cool is that? Yep. Um, I have got one more um, venue that I'd like to mention, and that's Morton's BMW in Fredericksburg, and that's on October the 26th. And um, then I fly back to the UK. Um, So I've got five weeks over there uh, in the States this time. And, yeah, so the southeast for me this time. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the United States. So I'm looking forward to being back again. So five um, weeks Meeting lots of old friends and meeting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's nice. Wow. And, and um, do you list the events on your website that you're going to if people are interested in trying to meet up with you? Definitely. They're all on my website and they are also all on my Adventure Motorcycle Travel Books by Sam Manicum Facebook page. Um, but um, yeah, they're all on the website. And, uh, Sam, yeah. Fredericksburg, is, which state is that? Virginia. All oh, right. There's another Fredericksburg, which we've been to, which is, I think it's Fredericksburg. Doesn't matter. Forget that. This is my second time back to the one um, in Fredericksburg. They made me so welcome when I went there the first time. And um, they gave me all sorts of introductions. This is the sort of place they are, um, which has helped me um, tremendously um, to link up with lots of other organizations over the United States. And um, when they were doing this, I was just thinking, you know, this is one of the finest things about motorcycling. Um, it's it's the people again, isn't it? And the way motorcyclists help each other. And yeah, fabulous. And of course, you guys will send us those links for everything we've talked about. So those links will be in our show notes. And um, I guess having said that, that wraps things up. Grant, you and Susan have a great flight tomorrow. Thank you. We're going to need it. We need all the help we can get. get I got to get up at 3 a.m. to get to the airport in time. And for you, that's I feel like, you're you paying, Grant. Oh, yeah. yeah. For Grant, that's Grant, if you're Australian, if you're Australian, that's Grant, terrible. If you're Australian, then you just would be drinking beer and not go to bed. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I am Australian, yeah. though. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Many people know I have multiple passports. One of them being Australian. <laughs> I reckon, Sam, I reckon Sam's in line for a U.S. citizenship the amount of time he's spending over there. Yeah. Do you know, I'm just really enjoying exploring. And when you do an overlanding trip, you know what it's like. There is not, never enough time to, to really explore places. You yeah. get a good taste of places, don't you? Yeah. Um, but these trips that I've been doing into the States for the last couple of years, it's just been wonderful. And, again, the people that I'm meeting and the friends that I'm making, it's, yeah, it's fabulous. I'm really enjoying um, and I don't even feel as if I've scratched the surface yet, which is, yeah, it's kind of great. Yeah, it's like how some people manage to spend two or three years in doing South America. And people wonder, how do you, how can you possibly take that long? Well, you've never easy. been to South America or you would know the answer to that. It's easy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
too, right? Yeah. Same thing with Canada, U.S. There's so much to see on the entire continent. I mean, you compare that to, to Europe. How long would it take you to see all of Europe? Mm-hmm. The rest of your life. Yep. So there, there's just so much to see. So generally, that's that's always the advice we all of us all go back to all the time is slow down, take your time, less mileage, more time to visit, talk to people, and you'll have a much better trip. I think we can end on that from my point of view. Yep. I think that was a great ending. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Well, that about wraps things up this month for ARR Raw. That's August 2017. Now, before you go, I want you to consider dropping by the website www.adventureriderradio.com and clicking on the support button, as I'd mentioned at the start. Um, as well, you can get all the shows at the website. There's show notes in there as well. And our other show, which is Adventure Rider Radio, you can get all of the, the weekly episodes there and look at all the show notes. So drop by the website, have a look at it. Also, drop by our Facebook page. You definitely want to go by the Raw page and like it because you want to be part of Sam's contest where you might be able to win his audiobook, but also drop by the Adventure Rider Radio website uh, or sorry facebook page and like that one as well i want to give thanks to our producer um, elizabeth martin thank you very much and she's the one that works in the background for all of this stuff and doesn't get heard and i want to give thanks to our co-host um, starting with graham field who is absent for this one he lives in bulgaria he's got some great adventure motorcycling books drop by his website www.gramfield.co.uk sam manicom lives in the ok <laughs> in the ok sam manicom lives in the uk and he's also the author of great adventure travel books and articles visit him at www.sam-manicom.com Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks also authors they have some great moto books of their travels and you can find out more about them by visiting their website Aussies or sorry www.aussiesoverland.com.au and of course Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum to connect with other travelers around the world and it is the place to go if you're on a trip or researching a trip or looking for information about going somewhere drop by it um, they also put on the hub meets around the world and as we talked about in this episode drop by their website to check out that www.horizonsunlimited.com and if you want to check out the events it's forward slash events well that's it my name is jim martin thanks for listening see you next month time and the living is easy what you doing going on vacation going for a ride it's going to rain it's inevitability that unplanned premature stop in some shitty motel to dry out your clothes and wait for the skies to clear what you need is a good book to read or maybe you can't afford to go away sitting at home watching too much porn well let me recommend some pages you can get stuck into you've heard me voice now it's the perfect opportunity to read my words Let me take you, if I may, on a journey. Inexperienced, challenged, unsupported. Equipped with pure determination. The KLR650 meager means a solar ride of 15,000 miles from the UK to see what will break first. My body, my bike, or my budget. A journey to Mongolia and unintentionally beyond. In search of happiness, in search of contentment, I was in search of greener grass.
Graham Field scares me shitless. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. This dude has all the answers. William Shakespeare, thou dost talk too much. Buy it now from grahamfield.co.uk. Mention Raw at the PayPal checkout and receive a 20% rebate off the cover price. I can offer this like dope dealers give away the first hit for free because I know you'll be back for another book.